Good morning. I'm glad you guys are here this morning. Today is Sunday, July 11th, 2021, and we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. And uh, I was hoping we would get done with the, the chapter today, but I don't think we will just because there's still a lot of content. It seems like the more I read, if I back up and I read what I studied last week, I find more stuff, you know, and uh, it's just amazing how God and through the Holy Spirit continues to reveal and teach us. Um, I've, I've got these pages on my Bible so wore out that I'm going to have to tape the bottom because... I grab the bottom in the same place and flip them, and they're tearing at, <laughs> at that spot. So I have to bandage my Bible up. So anyway, um, we'll start reading in 14, and I know it feels like we're probably beating a dead horse with this, uh, but it, this is kind of where the topic of the discussion begins for the remainder of the chapter. So I always go back to that point when I start reading. He says, do everything without grumbling or complaining or arguing, excuse me, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will be able, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus, to send Timothy to you soon, and that also I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interest and not to those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son, as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Uh, B, his yeah, that's that's what I thought. I wasn't sure. Um, yeah, yeah. So he describes him as being like Timothy. Uh, so I would say a brother, in, a, uh, a very close brother in Christ, and not just a casual, right, right, not a sibling or or a cousin or anything like that. No. So um, let's let's pray and uh, we'll get into this. Lord, thank you for today, and I thank you for. Um, Paul's writings, and I thank you for examples like Timothy and Epaphroditus. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be more like them, 
uh, Lord, to be uh, continue to being trained to be in the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to love others, to, to love one another, to put the interest of others ahead of our own, as, as Paul is instructing us in this passage. And Father, I just thank you for uh, such a loving body of believers, Lord, that, um, that, are, that are truly my co-workers, and I thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So the title of the message, or the, the lesson today, is What is a Good Co-worker? Um, it's just a simple question. And so when we look at verse 14, the, the first verse, the word grumbling uh, in there, it comes from a Greek word, gongzomon, I think is how it's, how it's pronounced, G-O-N-G-Y-S-M-O-N, meaning grumbling or murmuring. Um, and the translation reflects expressly, expressing openly and openly bad attitude. Uh, so can we say something that is that is truthfully correct and say it with a bad attitude and destroy what it is what is being accomplished yes i can <laughs> and larry's pointing at me when he says yes you can <laughs> yeah that is true um and that's that's something that the lord is is really working on in me uh in the last weeks and months um, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verses 6 through 12. We're going to take a look at what Paul writes to um, the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 10. And he's talking about, um, he's, he's making a reference back to uh, the Israelites when they, were, when they were traveling in the wilderness. Uh, and I'm kind of picking up the story kind of midway through. He says, now these things occurred as examples. Verse 6, starting in verse 6, and we're going to read through verse 10. Or I'm sorry, through verse 12. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Don't be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. And so the, the descriptions that are given here, I, as I read some of the things that are going on and how there was very, I don't want to say very little mercy, but there was instant discipline um, there was there was a nearly instant consequence for the things that they were doing, and so today, the consequence. I mean, we I think we receive more mercy and more grace than what we realize. Well, either that or the world would be a different place, you know, because because if there was swift discipline and there was swift judgment on the things that are being done. 
Right, and so I'll get to you in just a second. So, I mean, we talk about, and I don't mean to get into political things, but we talk about gun laws and things like that. I'll tell you what, a thief is less likely to walk into an, a house and draw his gun on somebody if they're pointing a gun back at him or if they know that there's the potential for that to happen. So I don't say that to, to defend the NRA or anything like that, but what I do say is, is the reality of, I think we have softened the gospel so much that we've taken away the consequences of sin or omitted the consequences of sin in the presentation of the gospel message and the invitation that God gives us that people aren't afraid to not come to Jesus or to stay in the situation they're in. You know, so um, I think that's an important aspect of the gospel message is to understand that death and destruction is going to come to those who are disobedient and to those who choose not to live for Christ. Yeah, Tracy. Um, I, I, to be honest, <laughs> oh man, yes, we've opened a, we've opened a big tub of worms now. Um, yeah, to be, to be honest, yes, to answer that question, the difference, the difference can be attitude. Okay. So if I come home, um, first of all, they, they are too, they're too similar, I would say, to, to separate the two. I would say that there are minor differences. Um, there's times when pressure and stress and things like that build up and you just want to, you know, I want to be able to relieve this and I want to be able to talk to a brother or a sister in Christ that will help me, that will remind me wow, you know, let's pray together about this. Let's, let's do what God tells us to do and, and help one another. Me grumbling is me justifying my emotions. So do you think if you grumble about the things that go on at work, God's consequences are okay, just wait for tomorrow? That I don't know. But what I do know is when I do grumble and I don't deal with it, I forfeit the reward in the end. So because what he's saying in, in the passage in Philippians and what we've read already in the, in earlier in the chapter as well as now is that the crown that awaits us, Paul is saying, I want to be faithful in everything so that I receive the reward that's coming. And we're going to read that in Corinthians as well later on. Yeah. Right. I'm getting to the second one too. <laughs> so anyway. Right. Right. So a person who doesn't complain to his idol is disobedient to the verse. Right. And a person who does everything and complains is disobedient to the verse. Right. So that's not what I thought you were going to say, but that is ex- that is absolutely a true statement. Uh, do the first part is do it everything. So right. And it's also, and it's also, if you're living and breathing and alive and doing, then then everything is included in that. And so, anyway, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so it's not everything that, that is given to us 
is in the first two words, do everything. Right. And then the command that, that follows up is without grumbling or complaining. Right. So I think that a person could feel like, well, no one has heard me complain this week, so I've obeyed that verse. Well, if you haven't been obedient to your role of doing everything, right. you haven't obeyed that verse. So in other words, uh, uh, how, does, how do I say this? So in other words, backing away from what you should be doing is grumbling. Is being described as, I'm not, I don't want to do that today. And that is, that is being described as uh, complaining or uh, I'm, I'm too tired or I've done enough this week. I just can't do any more. Those kinds of things. Uh, you may not be vocalizing it, but... If God has said, do this, and, and you have said, or I have said, not today, then that's, that's having a similar attitude of complaining about what you're doing. Yes? So, like, I looked up the definition of grumbling, and it's the action or fact of complaining in a bad tempered way. Right. So it's, it's, it's openly, it, it's, it's expressing with a bad attitude. So, so yes. Right. I, but I don't think we should leave that open ended and go, you know, if somebody's having an issue, if somebody is having a hard day. Right. So, and, and you're making a valid point because it, it has to do as much with the attitude behind it. Is, is it. is it, I'm complaining to Tracy to get affirmation for how I feel and say it's okay? Uh, then that's grumbling. If I am if I am sharing something with her, saying I need help with this and I need to be to be able to respond in a right way, and I'm seeking for her to pray with me or to to seek God's word or to you know to deal with it in a godly manner, you know what Paul is telling us is so that in the end, so that people cannot speak. We'll read in a few minutes so that people cannot point a finger and say you're no different than the rest of us. It's, I think it's all in the attitude. Well, if, you, if, you come, if you had a bad day, like I had last week, if you just come home and say, hey, I, you know, I, need, I need some prayer, I'm not grumbling, I, I just need some help with this. Yeah. For me, it would be come home and Tracy would say, praise God, you had a James one day today. <laughs> you know, let's, let's praise him. Let's, you know, and I was like, you know, I could be like, Wow, okay. You know, I could get on board with that kind of, you know. We've like, all had some situations where we, um, you know, your spouse comes home or whatever, or you go home and you're just like, and, yep. and the other one goes, Ooh, I didn't, <laughs> no, you, why are you mad at me? I'm not mad at you. Well, it looks like you're mad at me. I'll tell you. Um, but I, I think that we need to allow each other to, to do that and go, this is not about me. <laughs> right. Right. And I think that's a very important aspect of, of understanding and learning husband and wife communication, you know, uh, because I know for me that I've, I've put that on her and she's put that on me before where, you know, one of us is just venting toward the other one and it's like, wow, what did I do, yeah. you know? Um, and, and the truth is, is that that's not really their motive, uh, but, you know, I had mentioned to you this this past week you know that i appreciate certain conversations with certain people because just in listening to them speak to me i learned how to to 
I learned how to talk to other people and present what I want to say without, bleh, you know, here it is, you know, take it, do something with it. And, and so it's learning how to talk to someone and, and I'm not, I, I haven't even come close to perfecting it, but learning how to speak to someone and present what I'm dealing with in a way that is, this is not on you to deal with, but I, I want to I hear what you have to say about it, and I want to dialect, I want to have a conversation. And so he's, he's really focusing, um, getting ahead of the emotion of a bad attitude before you speak and before you uh, communicate with others. Now, the one thing that's important about this, uh, he, he mentions the word arguing as well, and it's not an argument um, like what we would consider an argument in our home. What he's, what he's talking about is the word uh, argument is the word dialogosomon, I think is how it's said, and it's where we get our word dialogue. Uh, D-I-L-O-G-I-S-M-O-N. And it's talking about a discussion or a debate that reflects a legal connotation of disputing and, re and may refer, at least in part, uh, to the practice of going to civil court to settle their differences. So <clears throat> he's, he's trying to get them kind of out of the Roman government mindset of um, what he talks about in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, early in 1 Corinthians 6, about believers shouldn't be taking other believers to court. They should be settling, judging and settling among themselves according to God's word. And when you do that, you have to address the issue of love first. And you have to address the issue of putting others ahead of yourself. And if we read that passage, he goes to the point of, um, well, let me just read it. I'll let the, let the Bible speak for itself first. Right, right. Yeah, and and kind of, um, but among Christians, I mean, I would even say in the issue of that, among Christians, there should be able to have a Christian or a godly mediator between them to to open up the Scripture and to help out with that as well. So, so yeah, I would I would agree with that. It says, if any of you has a dispute with another. Do you have to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And you are to judge the world. If you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have, have disputes about such matters... Uh, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. It is possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge the, a dispute between believers. But instead, uh, one brother takes another to court, and this is in front of unbelievers. So, yeah. I just want to say this. The book of Philippians is unique to all of Paul's letters. Mm-hmm. To a church, right, right. So all of these scenarios that 
Right. He never addresses, like, even when he says things like, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. In Philippians, he's not talking to a person. Right. He's talking to a church. Right, right. And I had that later in my notes that everything that he's talking about is how things are settled within a fellowship or a body of believers. Yes. Right. right. Right, and if the fellowship of believers is as they should be, if there's a situation where Tracy and I are, are at odds with each other and we're at the point of divorce, we should be close enough to each other that Larry or Brian or somebody would recognize, hey, there's a problem here. And as we talked about last week, coming to that person and saying, hey, what's going on? You know, you weren't yourself or, or you're struggling. It just appears that you're struggling with something. And they should be close enough to be able to come to that person that way and I not get offended or be offensive toward him. How dare you, you know, come to me and tell me I'm, my life's messed up. You know, I shouldn't have that attitude towards him. And, and so the, the description of the body of believers that Paul gives us, when it's compared to the description of the body of believers that the, the church has today, they're not similar. You know, they're not real close to the same. They're, they're very different. Uh, today, the body of believers is, this is where I go to get fed by Jesus and don't expect anything from me. And thank you very much. I'm going home now. Uh, bless me if you can. Uh, kind of attitude where Paul is saying that we need to be such a close-knit group of people to where when there is something wrong, it can be dealt with. Um, I heard Somebody say this last week that we're not supposed to judge one another. I heard it said last week again. And I, I said, no, John says judge rightly. Judge in a right way. And, and Paul says it here in 1 Corinthians 6 that, that if there are issues that are doctrinal issues, we should be judging one another with that. Um, and, he, and he gets very specific with that about before the Lord's table as well. Um, that we need to be judging ourselves, need to be examining ourselves in our own body, our own minds and our own hearts, and we also should be going to others and settling differences um, between other people. And we'll see that later in Philippians as well, um, where Paul calls two people out by name, and he says, you people, you two, and the body of believers need to come together and help them work this out. And so that <clears throat> it's so that the outside unbelieving world looking in sees how God deals with believers and how a right way and a loving way of dealing with one another is so there's no place in this particular part of the passage uh, of philippians 2 where he's saying sinless perfection is what's expected but he is saying that there is a right and a wrong way in dealing with sin within the body uh, and within the fellowship so that the outside world sees a picture a clear picture of repentance and a clear picture of forgiveness and spiritual growth as well. So verses 15 and 16 in Philippians chapter 2. He says, so that you may become blameless and pure. Again, he's not referring to in this part of this passage, he's not talking about sinless perfection. He says, blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ 
that I did not run or labor in vain. And this, this describes the importance of the behavior that is being called for. So before the Philippians could ever be effective in the community where they lived, they needed to set some things straight in their own assembly. And that's what he's, that's what he's dealing with here. Evidently, the believers, this is from the commentary that, uh, that I was using, evidently the believers were complaining to God and arguing with each other. As a result, they were not without fault among the unregenerate. They were not shining like the stars in their world. The Philippian church needed to show themselves as one in Christ. Non-Christians were not being attracted to him by the saints' disagreements that were going on. And blameless does not mean sinless perfection, but that it's clearly seen that they're progressing to spiritual maturity through the living out of their salvation that God is working in them, making the corporate testimony of the church visible. So the words blameless and pure here are translated to live in a way so that those living outside of Christ could not rightfully point an accusing finger at them. <clears throat> so, He's, he's specifically talking about, you know, how things are dealt with among one another. So every, I can almost guarantee that everybody in this room sometime in the next couple weeks is not going to agree on every detail of everything. But everybody in this room, I'm convinced that if there is one or two or somebody that is incorrect in their interpretation of the Bible or doctrine or involved in sin that every other person any other person in this room could approach that one and lovingly bring them to a place say let's open up the scripture and see what god says about this and there can be a a um, a dialogue with that and it brings discipleship into the mix and so that's what encourages me um, with with this group with this church um, is that that happens, uh, and I've seen it happen. It's happened with me. People have come to me and talked to me about things like that. And, and even when it's me that was not in the right or that was in the wrong on something, I'm still encouraged by um, the person that came to me had enough Christ in them to say, man, I, I can't just let this go. I have to I have to talk to Dave about this, or I have to talk to this person or that person about that, and, and get it dealt with. And so, Paul also describes later that um, when he, when he talks about Timothy, I'm sending Timothy, and I'm hoping that he's going to bring me a good report back. I want to be encouraged by what he comes back and says to me about the letter that I've sent to you and about these issues that are going on. So. Um, he uses the words warped and crooked generation um, in, uh, in verse 15. Moses uses the same terminology describing the Israelites in Deuteronomy 32. If you go back there, we're going to hit a couple of verses that use this, these same terms. We could, but again, we're talking about inside the church. So... You know, he's talking about um, within the body of believers. And, and we'll get to the, what he's pointing to in, a, in just a minute. Deuteronomy, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The 
32, 3 through 6. And he says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. They are corrupt and not his children. To their shame, they are a warped and crooked generation. In this way, in this, the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and unwise people, is he not your father, your creator who made you and formed you? And so if we go to Acts chapter 2, Peter uses the same thing, and he's, he's uh, I'm pretty convinced that he's following what Christ said about him. Uh, in, in a few books back that we'll look at as well. May, may not have been about him directly, but it was about the 12 disciples. Um, let's say that. Acts 2 verse 40. Yeah, and this is, this is uh, Peter giving, giving his, I think, his first message that he's ever preached. He address, he's addressing the, the crowd. Um, and at the end of this message, he says, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them. In quotations, he says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And so... Peter is, is, is giving a message um, after the resurrection, after they've received the Holy Spirit, and he's given the message about Jesus Christ. And if you turn back to Mark chapter 9, Mark 9, we're going to read verses 14 through 29. And you can read about the same... Uh, the same story from from Matthew's perspective in Matthew 17. <clears throat> he says, When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd among them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. And whenever it seizes him, he throws himself to the ground. He foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And Jesus refers to uh, his disciples, you unbelieving generation. Um, and I'm not sure it could be that he's referring to everybody in the crowd uh, but anyway, he says, how long shall I stay with you? And how long shall I put up with, with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. And he fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It is often thrown in him into a fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If, I, if you can, Jesus asked, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw 
that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied that this kind can come out only by prayer. And so in this particular instance, you know, Jesus had given the disciples the ability to drive out uh, spirits and, and to uh, do these miracles. But there's, there's an element to some things that, that we deal with in our life um, that we may continue to struggle with until they're completely saturated with word and with prayer. And so when I say with word, I mean the truth about the gospel, with, with study of the Bible, and, and just a saturation of prayer. Um, and so if we look at this, the, the reference made in Philippians uh, 2, it's not a reference in Mark to the, the quantity or the amount of faith they had, but it was a reference to the quality of their faith and so their their devotion to the lord or did they come become um and i'm guilty of this i i have to constantly guard myself against this is that it would be easy to become relaxed or proud or uh, get to a point where everything is going smoothly when when he writes to corinthian to corinth he he writes to them be careful lest you fall um and so <clears throat> Jesus gives the importance of, of just pouring out in prayer uh, and in the, in the gospel message of truth. So in verses 16 through 18 in uh, Philippians 2, Paul wanted them to be able to experience the same joy that he had uh, as he runs and he labors. And he says in verses 16 through 18, as you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ or the rapture that I did not run or labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In verse 18, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And so the, he wants to rejoice together with them over the laboring of the word. Um, if we look at 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27, First Corinthians nine twenty four through twenty seven, he's giving a a picture of um, what it's like when you are making preparations for something uh, that is worthwhile, that is going to to give a a reward uh, in the end. And he uses a um, a sporting type event. Because the people at Corinth are, are very athletically inclined. They're very competitive with one another and with other places. So he says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, and they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. 
Therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly, and I do not fight as a boxer beating in the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So he brings... Right. So when he says do everything, that means with every decision we make, with every knee-jerk reaction <laughs> we make, um, that, that's a difficult one for me because if I'm understanding the Bible correctly, Paul is saying there should never be a knee-jerk reaction. And what I mean by that is if I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing today, when something comes that most people would expect just a, a snap uh, retaliation, God has already prepared you to do it with gentleness and respect. Okay, so as we continue to study the Bible, as we continue to pray, as we get to continue to, to love on one another and interact with each other, we begin to realize that when I do have a bad day um, at work, and I'm on my way home, I can be driving home and I can say, Lord, I'm going to lay this at your feet today. Just help me not to go home and unload on my wife. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if I, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to give you my, I'm just going to give you my take on this and somebody will probably correct me on that. But if I ask myself that kind of question, I'm, what I'm really asking is, how bad does my day have to be before I can do that? You know? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's days that ahead of me probably that are going to be worse than any day that's ever happened behind me. Okay? So the difference is, is going home and unloading or, the, or going home and saying, you know what? In spite of the day I had, God is still on his throne. And... And acknowledging him first. And then, you know, then I might ask. Usually I try. I'm going <laughs> to shoot myself in the foot here now. <laughs> I know it's going to come back to me. It's gonna, this, this always happens when I, when I say something that I should be doing. The Lord says, okay, let's put it into practice this week. Um, my attitude should always be on my way home. I'm going to go home and I want to know how my wife's day was. Instead of, let me tell you about my day. That's what it should be. And so... <laughs> no, she does ask. I mean, because we, we talk during, throughout the day. How's your day going, you know? Um, but putting her interest ahead of mine should be the priority over, I've had the worst day. And, and putting that on her, because for all I know, her day very well could have been worse than mine. You know, so anyway, you wanted to make a comment? I was just going to make a comment while you're here that in the verses in First Corinthians, he's talking about mission, and in Philippians, he's talking about ministry. Oh, yes. So the commands are very similar. Right. It's not like you're behaving first and not outside the church. Right. Um, but like in a, in a general covering, so do everything, be joyful always. Right. So that kind of answers almost every question that we're answer, asking wherever we're at. Right, right. Right.
Right, right. That's a good point. Um, and they, yeah, they do apply in both arenas um, to, uh, to serve in that way. So um, in Philippians, Paul's incarceration made it impossible for him to go back and visit Philippi. Um, and his, his deep concern and his love for their spiritual welfare prompted him to send Timothy and Epaphroditus uh, to visit and to deliver the, the letter and, and minister in his place. So in verses 19 and through 21, we'll touch on these. I, I think I mentioned these last week as well. Philippians 2, back in Philippians 2, verses 19 through 21. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. So what does he mean by that? He says Timothy is fulfilling the verses 3 through 5 in, in Philippians 2. Uh, Timothy is someone who does everything without selfish ambition or without selfish motives and puts the needs of others first. Uh, verse 21, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So when he says everyone looks out for their own interest, who does he mean? Does he mean everybody in Philippi? Does he mean everyone who reads this? Does he mean every individual who is ever born and ever will be born? Without intent, you will. With, right. So in other words, by nature, um, without Jesus Christ living in and through your life, Every person does. They're, they're, we're naturally self-preserving, uh, self-glorifying. Um, it's just that's just the way we are, uh, <clears throat> and and we're naturally prideful, you know, on on some sort of level, one way or another. It's our it's our nature to be that way from birth because um, the condemned state that we are born in as a result of a sinful, fallen world. So, uh, when, when he says this, everyone looks out for their own interest, it, it has to be Christ working through us, teaching us how to work out our salvation, teaching us how to put others first, uh, teaching us how to love our brother and sister and lay our life down for them. Um, and I keep going back to the... I keep going back to something that, that came to my mind several years ago. Um, I made a statement one time, if we were all as faithful at our jobs as we are to Christ and the body of believers, we'd all be without a job. We would all be homeless. You know, we would all be star starving uh, and, and struggling to, to make a living because it's so easy to, to justify from, from week to week different things that we do and different choices that we make uh, and, and to look at them and say, you know what, I need, to, I need to have the mind of Christ when I make this decision. Otherwise, I'm going to make the decision with the mind of, of David. I'm not going to have the mind of Christ. So I have to be focused and very direct uh, when I make those decisions. And sometimes making those decisions are offensive to the people that I care about the most. Mm -hmm. to, God wants us bringing our frustrations and our, our problems to Him 
job at Disney and it can be a work inside the city. Um, mm -hmm. Rather than if I go to my husband and I say this and then he might, you know, Ram, you know, yeah, your, your, you know, your point is validated, but it, 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 we, we try to get people to rally around us mm -hmm. to um, agree with why we feel the way we do. Right. And um, I think all of that stuff needs to go to him first. Right. And I agree with that. And then, and there's, I think in, if we, as we read in Acts and some of the prayers that they lifted up and things like that, um, that often happened within the body of believers. Uh, Jesus gives the instruction that there are some things that require two or more to get together to lift up in prayer. So in order to do that, again, you have to be connected with believers. And again, I go back to, <clears throat> I'm, I'm convinced that if our mind is being transformed and being renewed, then we are going to present it in a way to the body of believers in a way that is pleasing to him and with an attitude of, I just want to know what the right thing to do is. Help me see what God wants in this situation. Because I'll be honest, there's some things that happen in my life that both options or both choices seem like good things or both choices seem like neither one of them is good what do i do um and there's often times i will call a brother in christ and say will you pray for me about this because i'm uncertain of what i should do and in the conversation a scripture is mentioned and i went oh that's right okay <laughs> well that's not always true sometimes there's things said that are just said and i think they're they're even said maybe in passing but the but the holy spirit uses it to remind me of what the scripture said you may have not have directly said it but all of a sudden the, the spirit inside of me says remember what the word says here and and gives gives direction to how to deal with this the situation at hand and so Right, right. It's not, well, I know I shouldn't do that. It's, okay, I've got these two choices. They both seem good. Which one do you want? Because he right. only has one. There's only one that's acceptable. Right. So, um, wow, okay. Yeah. I'm going to go back to the Revelation. Mm-hmm.
Yeah, I think I understand what you're saying. Um, and, and I'll tell you this, I'm just going to be the first one to admit. When, when Tracy and I got married, I had no idea what it meant to be a husband. <laughs> okay? I went into it with this, this preconceived idea that marriage is going to be great, you know, because now we can just, we can make decisions ourselves. We're not, we don't have the influence of of our parents and things like that and and it wasn't long after that I'm going mom dad <laughs> what do I do and um, you know and and I, I can relate to that um, I'm sure she can relate to that as well and I'll tell you and, and you guys a lot of you can probably uh, agree with this the place where I learned how to be a husband was not in my home it was around godly men um, the place where my wife is, has been and, and is learning to be a more godly woman is around other godly women. And so, you know, that's a big part of the reason why I stress discipleship and, and connecting with other people throughout the week uh, for different, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, you may be the one in need that week, um, and you may be the next week the one who spots something a need that somebody else has and what we want to do is we want to live in fear of well, I don't want to I don't want to overstep my boundaries and Paul is saying tear the boundaries down uh, go to one another be with one another love on each other um, and and get involved but do it with the scripture open and and attentive to what God's plan is for that so yeah, I, uh, I appreciate that um, about you, that you want to, um, that you want to do that. Uh, and the hard part is to not get too discouraged when you live for months at a time and go, wow, it just feels like we're not making any progress uh, forward in that. And then all of a sudden, one day, it just seems like, wow, okay, faithfulness and, and persistence. Uh, the Lord is really teaching me how to do this. And uh, um, I think the focus is more on Lord change me, not change me, and change her too a little bit, will you? Um, it, it's, if it's Lord change me, then you begin to see the work that he's already doing in the other person as well. So, yes. Oh, okay. Thank you for your attention this morning. God bless you guys. You.